My name is Bryce Michael Wood, and this is part six of Four Year Discomfort. Four Year Discomfort is a series of much needed conversations that you can tune into live on Mondays and Fridays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom. Now, these conversations are designed to elevate the voices of those that have routinely been unheard and underrepresented. But I did not set out to turn this into a podcast. But due to popular demand and our ever-growing audience and the fact that I love you so much, I decided to provide the recordings of the audio. For all updates, please follow at For Your Discomfort on Instagram. But in the meantime, white people, step into the room. People rolling up. Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Bryce, full name Bryce Michael Wood. Say the full name every time because you already know what it is, those initials. Come on, it's BMW. You can't forget them. Uh, and this is for your discomfort, part six. Part six. That's crazy. Look, I didn't even know part one was part one when we did it. You know what I'm saying? And now we're at part six and it continues to grow. We have over like 2,600 people signed up for today's conversation. Like it, it, the podcast is popping, like streams are going crazy on, on all the things. And I'm I'm just happy and I'm overwhelmed by the support and the people that continue to listen. Uh, but before we go any further, happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. One more time for the people in the back. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Happy Juneteenth. Um, and so if you don't know what Juneteenth is, like one, I get it because it's not really talked about a lot, right? Like it's not really brought up in school or, or in our educational systems, and it's not yet a, a nationally recognized holiday, which we're trying to get happen. So if you ever see anywhere to support that or sign that petition, like sign it, because today is Juneteenth. And 155 years ago today, the last known group of enslaved Black Americans were free in Galveston, Texas. And they numbered over 250,000 people that were still enslaved two years after the Emancipation Proclamation with Abraham Lincoln. Um, that in and of itself is an issue that shows like, even though we were a nation at the time, we were still very much divided and that all uh, states were not governed by the, same, by the same rules and that people still had their own ulterior motives and wanted to hold on to old ways of doing things, um, which isn't unlike today, people holding on to old ways of doing things see what I did Uh oh did it get uncomfortable real quick like in the beginning it did um but no it's something that you know even even Mike and I talked about it a little bit this morning like we it's not widely talked about you know like in the black community I think like Juneteenth is celebrated um but n maybe not all the time and not in all parts of the country so I think it's important that this be a, a nationally recognized holiday because of it symbolizing freedom. You know what I mean? Like it's symbolizing like actual liberation for every single person in the country, finally. Um, which is, you know, it's important to me. And I, it's not just a black holiday, it's a, it's a everybody's holiday. Like it's, it's a holiday that symbolizes freedom and, and it should be celebrated and everybody's gonna be celebrating today. Like be safe though, cause, cause COVID is real. Uh, don't play the game. Like if it's a barbecue, please be six feet apart while you getting, you know, everything you need to get from potato salad to mac and cheese. If it's good and if it's right, look at it first. Check who made it because like that's the issue. Like actually understand, 
you know, who's making the, who's making the mac and cheese, you know what I'm saying? And that's just, look, if you know, you know, <laughs> if you know, you know, <laughs> um, but again, this is for your discomfort part six. I'm Bryce and uh, we have some pretty, pretty, pretty dope people mm -hmm. joining me today. Um, let's start with uh, Sheree, introduce yourself. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, we can hear you. Amazing. Um, hi, I'm Soraya. Um, I, most of you guys will probably know me from one or the other of my fitness endeavors. I'm a senior instructor at SoulCycle and a teacher at the class, the Taryn Toomey. Um, I grew up in a black family. My dad is from Hong Kong. My mom is from Haiti and she moved to the U.S. when she was 15. Um, and the rest is history. Uh, she met my dad in Arizona, where Bryce happens to be right now. Um, I get it. <laughs> that's a random little connection. I love it. So random. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, so here I am, and um, I'm an I'm honored to be a part of this conversation with fellow colleagues, fellow friends, and I I'm excited. I'm I'm uncomfortable, and I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> as what's up, Mike? What's up with you? up everybody uh, my name is Mike Press um, I am basically from Mount Vernon New York um, grew up in a household where my dad was a reverend so that was an interesting lifestyle growing up um, been in public school in Mount Vernon and then transferred to Catholic middle school and high school which was a whole nother understanding and actually brings me back to you know, my topics today. Um, everybody probably knows me from Soul Cycle or from my megaphone. Kellen, <laughs> <laughs> what's up? What's up, everyone? I'm Kellen. I live in Chicago now. I'm born and raised in the Midwest. Um, and I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, which is right in the middle of the country, um, but also one of the most segregated cities um, in the country. And there's an actual very distinct dividing line street that runs through the center of the city of St. Louis that uh, I actually grew up four blocks north of um, and on the black side, four blocks north on the black side. And um, I think that that, you know, has shaped a lot of who I am today, especially because of where I grew up. My parents did a really good job of making sure that we had exposure to both communities in St. Louis through education um, through like summer camps. We would go to private elementary school and then go to uh, summer camp in the hood. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that my mom wanted to make sure, you know, we knew where we're from and, you know, that we were around people that looked like us. Um, but I've been with Soul Cycle for five years, I, all five years in Chicago, and I am a senior instructor as well. And just my goal, um, as an instructor has always been to create space for others uh, within a predominantly white space. So that's- Thank me. you. Thank you. Thank you. Look, this, this conversation happening today is not by mistake. Uh, none of the people on this panel are accidental. None of the people listening to this conversation are listening accidentally. This is all supposed to be happening. We're all supposed to be existing in this season right now on Juneteenth today in a world where 
nooses are still being found hanging from trees in a world where there have been multiple repo reports of ropes hanging from trees in a very racially charged season. And that is to, to even hint that this is like attempted suicide is the most insensitive and like boneheaded thing that I've ever heard anyone like attempt to form their lips to say. Um, we saw back then that it took two years after black people were freed for all black people to be free. And we even see it today that as we begin to raise our voices and people are becoming aware, the silencing techniques are still around. And that silencing technique is fear. And that is something that I do not want to give power to. And anyone listening, please do not feed into that fear. And if you're Black listening, you have more power than you think. And, and we got this. It's, I know it's scary, but we, we still got this because we, we're in this together. Um, and I, I kind of, in, in that vein of what it is to be Black in America and what it is to, to kind of fear for your life daily in the, in the various experiences that we have, know that as we have this conversation today, we do not speak for all Black people. I repeat, the, the voices that you hear today do not represent, nor do we speak for all Black people. We all represent specific perspectives and experiences, but what bonds us together in this is the color of our skin in a white world or the color of our experience in a white world. Um, and, and kind of on that note, uh, Soraya, if you wouldn't mind kind of kicking things off in this conversation and giving us a bit of your experience um, as it pertains to like colorism uh, and white spaces versus in black spaces. Um, yeah, I, I grew up uh, again in conservative Arizona for until I was 10 years old. And I never met my father, so I, I, I didn't know the Chinese side of my background. Um, my mom was a single mom. She always worked really hard. And, you know, I expressed this to you when we spoke before, but it wasn't something I noticed until after. And especially in these last two to three weeks, the last month, it's really been something where I'm like, damn, like my mom a lot of times was the only black person, you know, black woman for that matter in the spaces that we existed in. Um, my mom had a catering business and she was the lunch lady at my school. And a lot of times like at school, she would be the only, uh, the only black person in, in that space. And, you know, we spoke about um, the talks that people get, right? Different talks. And for me, my talk was so different. My mom almost, taught me, you know, to, to hide um, behind the color of my skin because I am not outwardly black. It was very much, um, you see the way they treat your brother. My brother, he passed about a year and a half ago, but he had sickle cell anemia. He grew up um, in hospitals a lot of his life. Sickle cell anemia, for those of you that don't know, it's a blood disease where the red blood cells are ill-shapen or misshapen, and you get clotting in your joints, which uh is causes severe pain um a lot of times you can't move and like requires a lot of pain medicine and, and a lot of maintenance and stuff like that so he grew up in hospitals and and the treatment that he would get in hospitals and 
he grew up in the prison system also. And, and you just start to see it. My mom was always afraid, always operating from this place of fear of like, you know, you, you have a, you have a shield, use your shield. And I always, you know, was, was in white environments, white schools. I went to a private school for the longest time, a private charter school. Um, and in moving to New York, again, I went to a performing arts school. It was a public school, but predominantly white, you know? Um, and it was something that I struggled with a lot. I, if people were to ask me, I say, yeah, I'm black and Chinese. And it was always a question of like, oh, you're black, you're black. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm black. Um, you know, and growing up too, like children or people always asking, are you adopted? You know, you don't look like you don't have the same color skin. My, I feel like if you were to hold a photo of my mom and I up, like we look alike, but we do have different color skin, you know? Um, so it was, it was interesting. Definitely Yo, interesting. I, I get that. Trust. So I remember, especially growing up here in Arizona, my skin tone was just much darker. Like you just in the sun all, all day long, time. all day long. I left for, I left for like, I guess four months for my first year of college came back and everyone was like, yo, you light skin now. I was like, I'm not, <laughs> but I understand why you would feel that way. Cause I used to be black, but what, what I can kind of uh, bond with you on is like, my mom is just very, she's extremely fair. Like she's super duper light skin, like very, and the same thing would kind of happen, not at the same level, but of like, is that your mom? Is she? Because like you're, and like, and people aren't kind of, they're like, you're black and she's not. She's nah, yeah. like a different shade. And I'd be like, she's is, right? I would like ask, I remember as a kid, asked my mom like, you're black, right? Like, wait, <laughs> I know we don't like share the same tone, but like you're black, right? Oh, it's levels to this? Oh, okay, my bad. Um, um, like when I, I had great grandparents growing up that were very fair skinned. And I remember asking my mom as a kid, like, are they white? My mom's like, no, they're black. And I'm like, well, how are they black? Cause their skin is so much lighter than ours. Like they're, they're so fair skinned. And just like that, I remember like, I may have been like five or six years old and that being like the first like form of education around like, you know, we're black, but sometimes things skip generation and, <laughs> 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 you know, so. No, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, what, what something that we brought up uh, on Monday, as far as uh, like being black and operating in a white space or your blackness in America, but specifically in a white space, we talked about like people's comfort levels around you kind of like based on how they who they perceived you to be and I, I guess Soraya I wanted you I guess could you expand on like people's comfort levels around you when it pertains to like speaking freely about race or you know what I mean yeah I it's interesting when you reached out to me you had expressed like damn, I didn't even know that was your story. Like, I didn't know that that's where you came from. I didn't know, like, your background. And that is, like, so much of how I have operated. And it's no excuse, but, you know, that's how I grew up. That's what I was taught. So in, in going through 
our workspace and going through like relationships it's just kind of a conversation where it's like I'm not I'm not going to talk about race we don't talk about race and the last relationship I was in we were together for a long time but it was a big contingent like in in our relationship because his family was racist and they would say they would get drunk and they would say things and for me I would I never said anything like I never spoke up I never said anything about it and I think if people can't see it right their their comfort level with me is is far greater than it would have been if my brother was sitting next to me I think you know or if my black friend was sitting next to me and that's something that uh is something that I think I'm really just now recognizing like opportunities and stuff I've had if the color of my skin was much different like you know some of those opportunities would not have been afforded to me um so yeah comfort level like I, I think people don't want to see right people are very comfortable having the veil over their eyes and it's like well you're not outwardly black I'm not going to ask you and if you're not going to say anything then like it's all good you know and it's unfortunate it's unfortunate yeah it is I think it's there's two parts to that right like there's there's the discomfort of like someone especially in like the the climate we've been in probably like the past 10 years with like very much PC culture and being politically correct and not wanting to hurt feelings and step on toes. Like, I think there's a discomfort of like, can I ask her what she, it, like, am I allowed to even do that? But then there's another side of it that's like, I don't even want to know. I, I kind of just want to keep it, keep it exactly right. where it's at. We don't even have to acknowledge if she is black, great. If she, if she's not also great, but I'm gonna keep moving as if she's not. And she hasn't said anything. So like, it's all, it's all good. Like it's all comfortable. And uh, kind of transitioning over to Kellen. I, I think the same could be true, um, I guess, with black queer life in America, as far as comfort levels and, and talking about it. And I, I'd love for you to one, speak to kind of what you started to talk about in your intro about the importance of creating and holding space for others, but two, what your experience was in white spaces as well, being Black and queer. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting because I, when I came out, I was in a very white space um, in high school, very white, wealthy, um, private, school um and i think in a lot of ways in a lot of ways the community was very like liberal and like open-minded so there was a ton of space in that space to come out of the closet i felt comfortable coming out of the closet in high school i felt support from my school but at the same time when it came to race and conversations around race at the school it was very like you were met with a lot of um hesitation or um, pushback. And so I think navigating coming out, I found myself as a black queer person finding comfort in white spaces because of my queer identity. Um, and then having to unlearn that as an adult and realizing that I actually really needed my black queer community um, in order to 
feel supported and to feel holy myself. And I lived in Kansas City um, for, I've worked in fitness my pretty much my entire career. And um, I moved to Kansas City with a job for Lululemon to open up new stores there. And I was the, I was the only black employee pretty much for my entire three years in that, in that entire city damn near in the entire region um but <laughs> but um i i was miserable in kansas city because i did not have a community that looked like me there i was there for work i had a really hard time finding other black queer people and i made it a point when i moved to chicago to reach out to those people that i knew and i was like i'm gonna make my space like i'm gonna make sure that my community my friends my like chosen family in Chicago looks like me, understands who I am. I don't need to explain, I don't want to have to explain like why I'm geeked about like the fucking untitled or self-titled Beyonce dr album dropping because <laughs> they already know. So um, I think that, you know, just, uh, I think that it's been interesting because of my queer identity having to like, unlearn some things and some like unlearn some like um what is it um internalized like oppression against my own self um as an adult and be like wait 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 no 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 I need my community like I need to be around my people yeah I think something that you you hit on that's huge that I didn't know was going to happen is the oppression that can come from having to explain yourself um there's there's an inherent oppression there it, because there's there's just a pressure to know that when I'm about to say this thing, it may not be understood. And so I need to like deliver it in a package that is like applicable or is like palatable. Like I, I need to be able to uh, make, like I have to kind of like put myself, like all that is me, I have to go like really small and narrow and focus it so that you understand that I'm hype about this self-titled Beyonce album because and that I got to prove it to you and I got to make you understand and explain it versus um, what you've uh, gone to Chicago and have been doing is create that space and then hold that space and not have to feel uh, the pressures of, of that like kind of internalized oppression that you were talking about that I, I hadn't thought about until you said that right there because it's true like um, I think growing up, I went to predominantly white schools as well. I had to fight to go to the school, like in my neighborhood, I had to fight. My parents were like, you're not going. I was like, I need to be with my people. Like I, I wanted to go <laughs> so fast. But I remember in those, you know, mostly white spaces, bringing up like, I don't know, we, we talked to me, you and Mike talked about it, like bringing up like the Usher album 8701 and not just talking about you don't have to call and like, let it burn but like actually going all the way to the bottom of the track list you know and like people being like what's that i'm like you have the album they're right. like yeah but i listen to like you don't have to call and let it burn and you remind me of a girl i was like but there's so there's so much like then just there's so much more like why don't you know but i i just i understand like and then you feel that pressure but they're like we don't know what that is what's that and then if you're like the only black person in that space and no one's there to like kind of back that up or, or hype that up, then you internalize that and you're like, cool, got it. That's not cool. That's not acceptable. I'll, I'll just stick to the top twos and I'll just keep it pretty 
pretty basic on, on what's on the radio. And, you yeah. know, I'm going to just keep all this little knowledge to myself. And, and it's, it, it's not okay. It, it's not healthy. I think I did, I did that for like my first year of being an instructor. I'd like, you know, cast a really wide net and was like very much like, I want everyone in my room. And like, I, I, you know, I'm here for everyone. But then I think I realized like, no, hearing, actually hearing someone physically actually say, what space do you have access to? Create that space within like what, what you have access to. So if you have access to a predominantly white space, but you want to create space for, you know, black people or queer people or uh, people of color to to move and to move with you and to be with you in that space just like do it like well, what are you waiting for just do it um and once I did that and made that switch like everything changed um everything changed so that's great that's great and I think um but something we talked about in that is last talk we talked about the importance of authenticity to our mental stability just anyone not just black people but anyone like when you're able to truly express who you are in a in a authentic and organic way, like your mental health is like ten times better, right? Because you're not switching in and out, and you're not pretending to be something you're not, and that and that truly just lends itself to to higher mental health and mental stability. And this isn't even going to be a smooth transition, but I want to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> it's not like I'm I'm typically used to like, and here we go. But I really just want to like hop into a topic that. Um, we talked about with Mike yesterday as far as educating like it's like this like all these things happen from a young age right like we we develop these implicit biases that then become that then act as reflexes of our brain and our mind and our body right but it, it starts at such a young young age like you're not born with these biases, you learn. Uh, we talked about it, like when you touch the hot stuff, you're like, ooh, that's hot, got it, not gonna do that again. Or maybe let me, okay, yeah, okay, it's hot, for real, I got it. And that's kind of how you develop, and it's the same thing with your biases and, and your judgments and, uh, and all of that. And I, I wanted to ask Mike, you know, the importance of educating like white teens specifically on what privilege looks like in school versus in real life. Yeah, um, so before I start anything, I just want to make it very clear. I'm not trying to tell people how to parent or try to uh, tell educators how to teach. It is just an observation. Um, the first thing is you got to burst the bubble. The bubble of it being, and if you see me look, I'm always looking at notes and stuff, is that at a young age, sometimes parents teach their kids not to see color or race and to treat everybody equal. I've heard that from so many people. Like I was growing up and I, you know, we, we treated everybody the same and this, this and that. But we associate everything with color, right? My favorite color is red. Your favorite color is this. My, I like that. An apple is red. A plum is brown, black. But when it comes to race, we always try to, some people try to clear that air so that their kids don't see it. And it's an easy way to avoid not having the conversation. Excuse my French if there's a child on here. Whoops. You gotta bust that, that bubble the fuck down. I'm serious. I'm sorry, Bryce, you can, you can, you can click me out. I'm not you. going to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, if, if you don't see race or color in a heightened situation, any person can be the Amy Cooper, right? Any, any person can be that because in a heightened situation, you're so flustered with emotions and this and that, and you've been taught never to see color. Then all of a sudden it's like, it's a black man there. If you're taught how to see race and taught how to see color, you kind of know that if you're giving a description of someone, you don't always have to jump right to the race. It doesn't always have to be this, it's this person and they look like this and they look like that. You know, I was brought up in a black community in public school and then got, just like every one of us, got transferred to a white school. And I'm like, that was the culture shock. I'm like, okay, now I got to understand how to navigate through this because now I'm being looked at as the, uh-oh, you know, he came from public school. You know how they do. But why does that have to be? Um, we also have to d disturb the, the, the comfort. Um, black kids are conditioned to know what privilege of white kids are at a very, very young age. We are already conditioned to know that. But most white kids are protected within their environments from seeing the 3D world, right? From seeing every bit in peace because it's very easy to keep clusters of, of children um, away from all of that, which is why you have a suburb and an inner city. Um, Kellen, myself, um, and uh, Bryce, we spoke about this, is that as black kids, black men, black women, sometimes we're always pushed to find the better opportunity in a white school, right? We're always, we're, we're pushed to be like, go here because you're gonna get a better education, you're gonna get a this and you're gonna get a that. But you never see the reverse from a privileged white kid. You never see a parent from a privileged family say, you know what, you've had everything that you wanted, we're gonna shake your life up a little bit and put you in a school where you see a diverse group of people, where you see a diverse group of, 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 of a social class, where it's not everybody goes to the same country club, everybody goes to the same things all the time. It's like, you're gonna travel to go to a different school. You're gonna experience what some of these kids experience to come to the school that you're at right now. But you yeah. never, never see that. And, and, you know, you got to disrupt that comfort sometimes. Yo, I think that what you, so I think what, kind of what we talked about yesterday, and my mind is moving a mile a minute because you said so much and it was all right <laughs> on. No, you, like, it was, it was all right on. And my brain is like struggling to be like, what's the thing? But mm -hmm. you, something that you, you just said speaks to just being well-rounded. And I think that there's like two different ideas of what it is to be well-rounded. I think from like a black or brown perspective, we, we get, I guess, two versions if we have to operate in, in predominantly white world. And something you said that really sparked something in me and I'm kind of fired up about it, is that we associate success and progress with white spaces and, and traditionally white you know, institutions or things that were built up by white people like we're, we want you to go to the Ivy League, we want you to get to, to, to get the job and we want you to go to the private school that is predominantly white and that is somehow associated with being better or, or having higher rates of success or you're going to look better, or this will be better on your, on your resume so you can get into a good college and then that good college looks like, you know, similar, like the place you just left. But I think, you know, as black and brown kids, our our version of well-rounded 
encompasses sports and like creativity and like all of the things, but it also encompasses like confronting race. Uh, and I don't know, and it might not happen immediately. You may grow up in a black neighborhood and then have to confront it later, but like eventually it's something that people of color have to confront and then understand and then adapt in order to continue to like, quote unquote, be successful in this world and keep the ball rolling in, in a direction mm -hmm. that is positive for you and safe for you. Um, but I, I wanted to pull that out because I think that we talked about it yesterday, the idea that it's like, you know, for me, like as, as a black kid, I, I was dropped into a new school and I was like, oh, okay, this is great. It's me, Cameron, Baird, and Tanisha, and that's it. And like, here we are. And then the rest, you know, and then it's everybody else. And um, we started to talk a little bit about, and I want Saray to hop in on this too, because I know that your perspective is what I want to hear about it. When, when you're in a space and you just tend to gravitate towards people that look like you, you know what I mean? And like, and, and those people that tend to look like you tend to be able to bond and have those same experiences where you're not, to Kellen's point, kind of like suppressing and oppressing yourself. And you can kind of just be comfortable in that space. Mike, expand on like what that looks like, what that can look like. I mean, I grew up a lot in the church, you know? So like, I, I immediately think of that and like going to church, I mean, in Arizona, you have these like huge fucking churches, you know, like yeah. thousands of people are going to these congregations. But my my mom always had to talk like going to the church, right? Driving in the car. Be careful who you're sitting with. You're going to go to Sunday school. Make sure that like, it was just so, so different for me versus for my brother, you know? And I always heard her say it's my brother, but I think you feel safe. You know what I mean? For my brother, he gravitated towards the black kids because that was where he knew he wasn't going to get picked on right or like be called out for him being black all the fucking time like in everything that he did um in public schools like in public school too like going to school you like ah, I think as children you're so receptive there's so much that you're learning and this conditioning in the bias right it's like you're a sponge and you're just absorbing so you're in school and again you see people picking on someone you see people saying something and it's almost this idea before where you're like well that's not right I don't want to feel that way that made me feel this way so I'm going to shift over here I'm, I'm going to do this um it's, it's like a, a blanket almost and I think what's happening now right is like ah, this culture of asking for permission like because black or brown people are not seen in these positions of power or success and it's been happening for so long that it's almost this air of like they've been asking for permission we've been asking for permission and I think right now it's like no we don't need to ask for permission there's no more asking for permission like I work hard I am on this land like I have put in my time I take up space in this world there's no more asking for per permission anymore and it's even getting down to like can I live, right? Can I walk? Can I run? Can I, can I, can I go to the store? Like, uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I have a lot more that I could say, but I, sure. I think too, like you see it in housing systems, right? Like they've created these housing systems where like 
only black people live in the projects, right? This is the Spanish project. Like you have a fucking, it's segregated by race, like in, in even the, the fucking ecosystem that you live. And yeah. again, I think people get afraid of like, I don't want to, I don't want to be seen this way. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be fucking killed. Like I, I want to, I want to keep these things that make me feel like me. So let me stay with my kind. But at the end of the day, like now you have created these pockets and now everything is so segregated when why do we live in America, right? If not to integrate right. and to be diverse. I think what's sometimes, and we, we spoke on it a little bit yesterday, sometimes what's unfair is if someone's like, well, why do you only hang out with like black people? right like why is that how come you just only hang out like with black people like why is that the group you went to like if you're at school or at an event you know anywhere because you just kind of are naturally drawn to that but at the at the same token and I'm, I'm keeping this in a high school perspective when you're like at high school and you go to the quad there are all kinds of groups that like happen clicks right you have like your jocks you have like your student council types you have uh goths or whatever like drama like there are all of these different pockets that you do see like black people and and people of color speckled in here and there and like it's not like a an issue right like it's not like a big deal like how come the drama kids just always hang out with drama kids like i don't get it like i want to hang out with drama kids too like that's that's not or how come all the goth kids just hang out with the goth kids or like student council or like the jocks or whatever the case may be but then for whatever reason it's like noticed and like there's a name put to it and called out it's like well how come all the black people hang out together like how come like there's like a whole lunch table of black people like i i don't get that i don't understand that like it's about equality and all these things yet this I'm like, somehow the color of our skin and us being together is greater than a table of jocks sitting together or like say all the jocks are white, say all the goth kids are white, say all the student council kids are white, <laughs> say like that, that is not a distinction that is necessarily made all the time. But when it comes to a big group of people of color, the distinction is kind of called out. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why. Like, that, is that scary? Kellen, you were about to say something. I'm just saying, like, I, I mean, I, I think I told you that, like, I've experienced that even within the workplace and, like, you know, uh, it's never noticed until all the brown people are together. Um, it's never noticed. I'm like, it's been said to me before, like, why are the black people in here together? And I'm like, well, if we're in here, who have you been with for the last hour? <laughs> Did you not notice that? around the campfire and why did you feel comfortable coming in and saying this here instead of saying hey like at the campfire it's the only white people out here like where's everyone else like why are we not being inclusive within our circle because your circle is much bigger than mine um you know <laughs> it's, just, it's like it's, it's only noticed when it's like brown people you know which is the point i think it also i think it also goes to the the all lives matter thing right so you could have a you could have a, a group of people and the moment that black people start to just remove themselves from this and from that then it's like well why can't you hang with us and why can't it's, it's about everybody and it's like but there is a comfort level when we're together there are things that we can speak about in a slang that we can talk to each other about experiences that we can talk about that may not resonate with you 
that may not be totally clear to you. And then on top of that, we then have to explain more in detail. Get it. If you want to learn and understand the cool, come into our circle. And I think that's the bigger thing is that some white people feel uncomfortable coming into our circles, but we have to conform all the time to come into their circles. Yes. That, that's <laughs> like, that's yeah. it. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? That's and then it. you, re yeah, and you reverse it again. You people are expected to exist in such a certain way, and then you 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 turn the tables, and people are so confused, right? Like you said, Mike. So many conversations are that you've heard where they're like, "No, I taught my children to." We see all colors. Like, there's no black or white, red or brown. Like, all humans are equal. And it's like, well, if that was the case, then. Why is it happening? You know, why is that happening? Honestly, and I like think if, it's really important yeah. to recognize that. Like, what happens when you come into our circles? It it fucking feels uncomfortable, right? You you feel out of place. Welcome to our like, welcome to life. <laughs> welcome to the last fucking years, four hundred years, however long. I've seen that so much, like with social media lately, with everyone all of a sudden like having a voice and speaking up, and like white people being like Black Lives Matter and Black Squares and all this. But then I like click on your profile and I like scroll down and I'm like, there ain't a brown face in the last six, seven years you having this Instagram on this Instagram. So, like, I'm good. Like you, I appreciate you saying all Black Lives Matter, but like if you're not actually applying those words into your life then like save it like keep it 100 <laughs> it's like a, it's like this why i started this it's like from the very beginning like we're good on the bumper sticker hashtags and quotes like while i appreciate them if it's not your life and it's not your heart for this because what i haven't said yet today but i say always is this is about getting a passion for people right life valuing human life and specifically black life this isn't about pointing fingers this isn't about placing blame this is about understanding experience and perspective that can help you have some form of perspective and further your passion for for people and and something that Soraya said that like sparks something in me is this idea that I don't see color the fact that you even have to say that is an admittance that you do the fact that that conversation needs to happen that that needs to come out of your body to your yeah. child is because you know that race is a real thing and you know that they will be confronted with it in a public space and you want to prepare them and in this the, the past couple of years that preparation has been please be really nice and politically correct and like don't step on any toes and like we're all equal and all of these things but like do you actually believe that when saying that if you have to have the conversation like if that conversation is necessary then can you actually believe that we are all equal because if you did if you actually believed that to your core and you believe that the world believed that then you wouldn't even have to to prepare them for anything because it just would be but the the very reason and the the very reason that you're having that conversation that I don't see color and everyone's equal is like we're gonna be calm about this and it's confronted like you don't you know you don't call him him black he's African American it's like well no not everybody's African American first off and two like he is like he is black or she is black because that's how unfortunately that's how it's just been but it's to, to ignore it you're not actually ignoring it. By saying, I don't see color, you're admitting that you do. 
I think there was a time and it's unfortunate, but I do think there was a time in the world that complacency was, was something that was okay. Right. It's like ignorance is bliss. A hundred percent ignorance is bliss because it is fucking uncomfortable. It hurts to take off the bandaid. It hurts to like actually notice that you're burning your hand on that stove and be like, Oh fuck. Now I've got blisters. Like it's not, it's really easy to sit in your own bubble and to like post the black square to like be performative, right? As, as that is exactly what it's called. So easy. But if you take a step back, if you're actually doing the work as a white human, as a white person, you have to, what is happening immediately in my space? Do I have black friends? Like, do I actually support black businesses? Do I believe that all black lives matter? Or is that something that's just popular to say? And like, I don't know, as the movement is dying down, like to Mike's point of education, I mean, I think we all recognize that until the system fucking changes, that education isn't really going to change. But then I do think that is on parents. That is on the fucking after school program volunteers, like to have these conversations. Yeah, that person is black. You know where they come from? Like, do you know about their history? Do you know why we're celebrating June? Juneteenth like do you know about these things because I didn't know I had no idea you know I didn't learn about the fucking great massacre of Tulsa like I didn't know about Rosewood or any of those things that's stuff that I had to to seek out myself and be like why why didn't I learn this this was just as big as colonization this was just as big as world war one like why is this shit not talked about and and it the system is broken. Like it's so obvious the yeah. system is broken. So therefore, again, we have to take it into our own hands. Like there's no more asking for permission and you gotta start to be like, I'm gonna educate you, right? Like don't ask me, but if we're in a space and like that comes up, I think it's really important to be like, let me tell you how this is. Like, let me tell you right. what it feels like. Let me just let you know. And to that, to that end, Mike, like this was, that was the perfect, come on, teamwork. Mike, um, <laughs> You, I want you to speak on, you know, the point that's coming up as far as like those that are quote unquote woke and those that understand that they, that they have white privilege and are actually starting to address it. Like most of the people listening and most of the people supporting this are like really trying to address these things and, and understand and educate themselves. But I, I, I want you to just come on and talk about like now that you've learned that if you didn't know white privilege exists, surprise, it exists. Now that you know that, now that you're taking the steps, what, what, what's going on on the inside? What are you really thinking about Black people? And, I, and I, Mike, I, I want you to expand. Once people have, once white people own up to the self-reflection and the education that they've been able to receive and that they've been able to pass on to their kids, you now have to ask yourself the very, very strict, hard question is what do you think about Black people? You get you a little piece of paper and pen, and you just write. You write about everything, no matter how harsh it is, no matter how brutal it is, no matter how fun it is, how happy it is. You write how you feel, because that what you wrote is going to depict what's truly inside of you, not thinking about it always inside of your head, but to actually read it and to see it, because then you will get an actual glimpse of who you truly are in another form. Um, without without that understanding of how you truly feel, you can mask everything to everyone else. 
but when you go home, you're doing, you're an entirely different person. It's about being truthfully honest with yourself in the space of when you're private about how you feel about black people. And, you know, one of my closest friends, she brought that up. A white girl said, hey, white people need to really understand how they feel about black people. And it's not just the, the best friends. It's not the, the one black friend that, you, that, that gets the pass in your neighborhood. It's everything. Um, you know, Bryce, we, we, we spoke yesterday and it's, you know, a white lady could be walking down the street and she sees three or four black dudes walking up to her in hoodies with their hoods up. And then she crosses the street and never understands to realize that the reason why they have their hoods on is because it's raining. That, that right there, that's the one, like, it's it like, nothing, it, yeah. it's not always a threat. It's, you know, but uh, uh, sadly enough, most of us are always looked at a threat based off of very, very small things like that. And yeah, like when you said that yesterday, I was like, yeah, like that's like, that's a really, that's a true depiction of like all kind of all instances or all circumstances where your implicit bias kind of takes over. Um, in a situation like that, like five black dudes in hoodies walking towards you, you cross the street and now realize that their hoods are on because it's raining. Like nothing, nothing really is happening other than them like staying dry and walking and should they not have the right or the ability and the freedom to simply stay dry? Like should their staying dry be comfortable to you? Would you prefer an umbrella? Does it, should they just, should they just be wet so that you're comfortable walking down the street? Like what, what's the line? Like what, what has to happen for like your, your, your thinking? And for me, it's about your heart. Like I had an interview the other day and she asked me like, what, what do you think like has to change for real? And I was like, as much as I want everyone to get educated and, and, and do their research and understand like our experiences and our perspectives at the end of the day, like, what, what what do you feel what's your heart what's your heart posture what's your heart looking like towards all things but in this specific instance towards black people because that's what's going to ring true you could be as liberal as you want to be you could say all the right things like even as a black man i can have so many white friends and know how to successfully operate in white spaces and get things done and be charming but i could also just truly have fill away and when tested, when put under pressure, that way will make itself known, right? Until I change how I feel, that's what it's gonna be. Like you, it's, it's like similar to like having an ex and not being over that ex yet and seeing them in person and like putting on the face and being like, good. But I know you felt that thing in your stomach. We've all been there. You felt that like drop, heart racing, like, mm, I still truly feel this thing towards this person, but, I posted that I'm over it, and when I see them with that person, I'm going to make sure that I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, bro. What's your name? Oh, dope. Yeah, she's great. No, no, no. I'm good. Yeah, I'm chilling. Meanwhile, like, <laughs> you know, you felt that instant thing. You know. And and it, that's the work. Like, that's the kind of work that is brought up when Mike asks, like, now that you have the knowledge, now that you understand what white privilege is, now that you're quote-unquote woke, write, write it down. 
talk, you know, for me, I have talks in the mirror. I talk to, I'm like, hey, man, how you, because this isn't it. It's not working. I need, I'm not comfortable. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable at first. You know what I mean? But you, you got to clear it up for you. We're, most people are afraid of the reality checks that they will give themselves in any form or facet. But particularly with this, it goes back to the first statement. If you try to mask color, you won't be able to fully answer this question. Because if you, if you mask color and you never see color and you never see this and you never see that, everything that you write is gonna be that. Everyone's great. You know, I have, you know, such and such and this and that. And, you know, I, I feel that everything that is happening to them is, is, is upsetting. But that still sounds very, very nice. You know, if you have been scared in, in, in any type of capacity, that's what you write. That's what you need to see for the person that is writing this and that is trying to understand black culture and black people and the climate that we are in. The moment that the person is able to see it, understand it, now you have a more cleaner palette to go out and to receive things, opposed to having the, the mask or the, the glaze over of everything. It's, it's, and this is gonna go in a different direction, didn't know we were gonna do this, but it's, it's about, you know, having a heart and stuff and like what you're talking about, about not acknowledging. It leads me to this idea of like what it means to really care about something or someone. And like specifically, like if you're on a team or you're in a cast or you're a part of a group and you guys all have the same goal and everyone's like really, really happy for when the goal is achieved and everyone's like really, really down when it's not, or if somebody gets hurt, like the whole team is like, oh my God, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like it, it hurts, like it, it hits you in the gut. Or even if you're just a fan of a sport and you're so, or a team or a show or a person and they get hurt or something happens or you lose the game, like for what, like you have that connection. Like some a football game could go the wrong way or a basketball game and you got grown men like just done, like sad, like upset because they are that connected and that committed to the team. And I think before you can join the team or be on the team, you have to recognize the people on the team first. You know what I mean? Like communication is key. So you, you can't walk into a locker room or a court or a field and coaches like, all right, that's Billy, that's Brian, that's Devin, you know, and that's Kyle. And all you see is Billy and Brian. Kyle's a part of the team. And in order for this whole team to be successful and communication to happen, you have to acknowledge that Kyle is there. He's on the team. And for this team to be successful, we all have to be communicating and we all have to be on the same page in order to win or, you know, and know that we're in this together. And so I, I say that to say before you can even hop on the, the, the team and be like, I'm, I'm here for black life. And like, I want all, you know, I, I want life, human beings to succeed. And before we can do that, everybody has to see that black life is important and black life matters. You have to acknowledge that black life exists as a black life, that it's not this colorless, you know, thing that doesn't exist. You have to recognize your teammate before you can be a team member, like with them, before we can succeed. And that that is, before we can even think about championships and rings and, and, and all of that, we first have to acknowledge the people on the team so that we can operate as one, moving towards the mm -hmm. same goal, um, which is what like was really brought up in me through everything that's been said. Uh, honestly, that I didn't know that, that was, 
fucking that happens. Love that. Love how that happens all the time. <laughs> um, I know I do. Like that's that's why these conversations are so great with the people that are on them because again, your your experience and your perspective and the way your mind works and the way your heart is 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 so important to the overall movement because it's not a moment, right? I've been saying that it's not a moment. This doesn't end in June, right? This doesn't end in July. It's ongoing. It's a movement. It it keeps going. Momentum will not be lost. It'll shift. It'll shift directions, but it, it can't be lost. We have to sustain it. Um, and before we before we go, because I really do want to, I do want to talk about it because it was interesting. I know, like, we running low on time, but uh, a, a byproduct of our conversation the other day about once you you realize your privilege, ask yourself like how you truly feel, and if you woke and now like you get it, and you you know, black people are everything to you, and you you love black people now. Uh, a part of checking yourself <laughs> is your response to your son, daughter, mom, or father. Um, dating someone outside of the race, specifically black or white. And I remember everybody had an example. Mike, yours was, come on, give me, give me go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, when it comes to interracial dating, um, within my family, there was a a saying that if you can't use your comb, don't bring a home. Um, (laughs) and, And the thing is, you know, parents today will always say that they're, I'm not racist, I'm, I'm not this and I'm not that, and I support and I do this and I do that. Everything will change, especially for a white woman when you bring home a black guy. Things change, conversations change, feelings change. And that is when you will then see the true color of the person come out. Um, not for all, but for some. Um, and let's just say you take the, the 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 stereotypical guy, which sucks, which it, sometimes will be used as the example, um, you know, opposed to like myself, right? Where if someone looks a little bit more rougher, they're they're more hesitant. But if I come in in a polo shirt and I I'm speaking the right language that they want, I know how to flip the system on them to make it so that they feel comfortable which should not be, I should not have to feel that I have to make your parents feel comfortable being around me because of the color of my skin. Um, like there's already added pressure enough of like, I'm meeting your parents or I'm, I'm meeting your family, but now like you're preparing me and like, hey, it could be like, they don't even know yet. So like, please, you know, they don't even know you black and they don't even know you white. Like, please, it goes both ways. Like they don't even know. So we're gonna, you know, please be be good on this. Kellen, my man, come on, tell me. Yeah, so I mean, I'm in an interracial relationship right now, but the whole reason I even came out to my mom when I was 16 was because I was invited to prom by um, an upperclassman who was a white girl at the time. And my mom was like, absolutely not. Like you are not going to prom. You don't need to go with you know, a white girl, she's gonna get you in trouble, you know, you have to worry about being pulled over and all those things, you know, she did not, she was very adamant about me not dating white girls, although I'm like, you sent me to a school full of white girls, <laughs> so I, I literally only, if, if I were straight, I'm like, I have 
four choices in my grade level to date if I want to date and we've already established like a brother sister survival like mechanism relationship so like this ain't gonna work um but I mean it was the whole reason I came out to her I was like look I want to go to prom like I want to go with my friend I want to dance I want to have a good time like so I'm gay, like, let's get that on the table so you don't have to worry about that. And I mean, obviously that opened up a whole nother like <laughs> worries for her and like concern, but it, it's funny how like, you know, it, it's something like both of those identities within me can't be shed. They're not separate, they're the same. They're like, they're one within me and like race and sexuality are going to like, they're gonna merge at all times. They're always gonna be a part of, like who I am and um luckily in this current relationship uh it hasn't really been an issue when we've been able to like talk through things and I I feel like I haven't had to like teach as much because he had already done the work before we met and had our like he was already in conversation around race in his life and that had been something that he was raised with which is kind of you know he's uh, a bit different than other people i've dated outside of my race but um yeah it's crazy that that is like what drove me to even like come out of the closet and tell my mom so you was about to go to prom with a white girl that's crazy and i did <laughs> and i did and you, went. <laughs> and you were like mom this is it. Like, I'm not even trying to date her like that. I'm not even. She, right. The white girl knows. She knows. I'm gay. She just trying. She don't want to deal with the bullshit either. So we just trying to get it. Like, what's up? <laughs> That's, um, I just wanted to make sure that I that wasn't lost. I know that that topic in and of itself will be something that is brought up in a, in a broader, in a wider scope. Um, but it was the, the connection from like once you know and now that you're you know you're you're starting to learn and understand the idea that you really need to look within and like really check like how you feel regardless of what you're thinking and what you know is like right and how I how I have to be now to to be on the right side of this and how to support um it's it's very important to acknowledge like what's actually happening because it's like I said you don't have to be perfect you just have to be present uh, you don't have to have all the answers today. You know what I mean? You don't have to have all of the solutions today, but you won't have the real answers until you acknowledge what's real within yourself. You can't go stick up for somebody if you're like 50% of yourself right now. You can't go stand up for people's rights if you don't actually believe they deserve them all the way deep down in your core. And it just sounds right and should be right. And I'm just jumping on the bandwagon right now because this is moved. And I want to be perceived as like doing the right thing. Like it, it, it's deeper than perception, right? That's, it's super, the word superficial is coming to my mind and I'm not trying to come for anybody, but white people, let's, let's be done with the, with that superficial support, huh? Let's, let's be good on the superficial support for a while. Like I know I've been asking and it's been like, don't be silent, don't be quiet, like use your voice, use your influence, use your privilege to elevate the voices that have been unheard and underrepresented like, and keep doing that. But as you're doing that, check check it. Like self, self-police self yourselves, like hold each other accountable. We talked about that on Monday, like accountability is key. Accountability is so key 
in this for yourself, for your friends, because you, you don't want to be built. You don't want to be built on a weak structure at the end of the day. You don't want to have all this fight up here and all these ideas and all this education and your, you know, the legs of your structure is like really shaken because you really haven't changed or you really don't believe it. But like, I'm really trying to do it and I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna stack it up and get it done. And um, take your time. There's no, I know it's, it's, you know, there's a rush, but like, and, and you wanna be a superhero today. But, you know, even the superheroes that, you know, we look up to the, the fictional ones, like it took time. They, they got the powers, they got the knowledge, but then they had to figure it out day after day, fight after fight, interaction after interaction, situation after situation to develop like a game plan, but mostly just a strong foundation of how to do this. Um, I, I'm, I'm hyped. Thank you guys for, for lending your experience and your perspective to this conversation. As, as people are leaving, what, what, what's really important like what was really parsed out, I think, by every single person on here is this idea of, I don't see color, um, I, I don't see it, and therefore it doesn't exist. I tell my kids all the time not to see color. And the fact, the very fact that you have to have that conversation means that color is very apparent. And the fact that you have to explain to them that all people are equal means that that is not the world that we live in right now. Um, and you yeah. said it, You said it before, Bryce, like, you have to do the, the self-work within the brain is like you break it down into scientific it's like your brain is an organ just like your heart just like your lungs like it is meant to create thought and that's exactly what it's going to do and until you can get down into the deeper crevices the deeper parts of you your brain you're just a prisoner to your own brain right you're not everything you think is not fucking true <laughs> if that were the case I think we would all right like we would have a lot of crazy shit going on and not to say that we don't but I think we know that at the depths of ourselves so I think what Mike said like sit with yourself write stuff down you know what I mean and not like really thinking not like someone's gonna grade it or read it but really just close your eyes and get into a space where it's like I'm not thinking it's just a flow and like that's your heart talk that's that's who you really are and in order to really do the work and in order to see clearly about it, you you have to be able to be honest with yourself first and foremost, you know. Um, before we before we break out, I just wanted to leave a few things for people to to take away with. Um is obviously the self reflection. Um for for teens and for kids, get them to see what a privilege walk is. If you need to know what that is, I have a great document that can that I can supply with you um, understanding a, a plan of what social justice could be um, and understanding that within the education system is that there is an unequal access to resources that help privileged kids get the best support get the best grades that may not be accepted onto minority kids or black kids or Spanish kids that is a very big thing within the education system that we have to that we have to break, basically break down. And it stops those parents that have the privilege, privilege to pay for all of these things to allow their, their kids to get the best because it then takes away from the kids that ultimately need it just a little bit more. Um, and, and guys, if you, you want any of this information, just email me at mikepress86.com at gmail.com or you could just message me on Instagram. Um, so I just wanted to slide that up in there.
that and also actually yo send that to me um as well because the, the i'll put it a part of it'll be a part of the newsletter that comes out uh, mm-hmm. next week so that yo things are happening uh things are happening like i got a whole team we out here like newsletters coming soon that are like legit uh logos coming at you that are like not just letters <laughs> um, a, a lot of things a lot of things are on their way um i'm i'm so thankful for you guys sharing your your time and and your space and, and going to a very vulnerable and transparent space where it is comfort part six which is just lit right now uh if you uh missed any of the parts before this you can get them on spotify and apple podcast and anchor uh all the links to that are in the bio at for your discomfort uh on instagram and all their instagrams and all the things are also on that page as well uh everybody just say goodbye before we leave please peace out peace bye. out bye uh, all right y'all all right y'all thank you later thank you i'm glad you decided to step into the room today but this is just the beginning As I always say, the conversation is ongoing. So keep showing up, keep leaning in, keep listening, and keep learning. It's not about being perfect. It's about being present in this. Let's attack this progress together. I'll see you next time.